All right, let's open our Bibles. Acts chapter 20. This morning, Acts chapter number 20. And we'll begin reading in verse 17. And we're going to take you right on down through to the end of this great chapter. So it's Acts 20, 17 through verse 38. I'll give you a moment to find your place. Acts 20, and I'll begin reading in verse 17. It's a long reading, so just follow along. Bear with me. The Bible says, And from Miletus he sent, that's Paul, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Let's ask God to... Guide us as we look at his word this morning, shall we? Father, we thank you for another wonderful day to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this dear church family. And Lord, all that uh, 
they mean to you and to me as pastor over these years. And Lord, what um, this church family means to one another. We thank you for that sweet spirit that we've been blessed to enjoy here. And Lord, I pray that um, even as it's the last opportunity as pastor to preach from this pulpit, uh, that, Lord, you'll speak to our hearts that, Lord, that this message would not be all about us, but it would be about you. And, Lord, your great eternal purpose. Father, if there's any here that do not know Christ as Savior, that today might be the day of their eternal salvation. And for this, we'll give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. These are Paul's last words to the church at Ephesus. It's a farewell message. And I've asked myself this question many times in recent weeks. How do you go about preaching a farewell message? And I can tell you, it's not easy. Uh, For one thing, just on a personal note, I've always hated goodbyes. I just, I don't... Whether, you know, it's a goodbye here on earth that's temporary and we'll see one another again this side of eternity. And certainly in the passing of loved ones, I don't like saying goodbye. I know we'll see our loved ones again if they know Christ as Savior, but it doesn't make it easy to um, say we're not going to see you for a while. We're not going to see you this side of eternity. And really for another reason, as Christians, we never say a final goodbye, do we? We never do. I remember my grandma's passing back in 1992. My granddad was still around for a year after that. And I remember at the visitation, it was just family, and before that they... Sent us all home for the evening and closed the casket, my grandmother's casket. My grandfather is in a wheelchair, rolled up to grandma's casket. And big tears streaming down his face. I always look at my granddad as a tough man, and he was. Tears streaming down his face, and he began to sing in German. When we all get to heaven... When we all get to heaven. That's always been my favorite favorite hymn for that very reason. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Our church has that spirit about it that's unusual. I hope you recognize that. If you've been here any length of time, you know this to be true. You've seen it. You've not just only heard people talk about it, but you've experienced for yourself. Uh, the fact is that once you're a part of this church family, you know, though the Lord may move you on and, and folks have moved up, you know, we, we're kind of like a feeder system for other churches, aren't we? You know, we have folks up in Barrie now. I think we have three or four families that are up in Barrie at Heritage Baptist Church. But yet, you know, if it's the Williams or the Cardings or the Norellas, they come back, they're always a part of this church family. You know, you're you're forever a part of the family here at MIBC. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a wonderful spirit about that. 
And so I've felt that way about, about folks that have moved on, and I'm sure it will be that way for us as well. That may be a little different, you know, serving as a pastor for 20 years. And although this is my final message this morning, as your senior pastor, I'm confident by God's grace is not the last message I preach from this pulpit. And I look forward to being back with you many times in the months and the years to come. And long before I had any thoughts or consideration toward or understanding of the fact that God would lead us somewhere else in ministry, whenever I have visited with this Acts 20 passage, Paul's farewell at Ephesus, and read through it. It's a very emotional passage. It's an emotional experience for the Apostle Paul. I always had that sense that if I were to ever preach a farewell message, this would be the text. This would be the one that I'd choose. And so uh, here we are today. And I I want us to... Can we we bring up the... um, the map, there we go. I just want to, uh, now you said it's a lower button. There we go, okay. I just want to point out a couple of things on the map. So it's just a little bit of a history lesson and geography lesson before we get into the message, just so you can understand this. So what we have is that Paul is on uh, his third missionary journey. And he's on the last leg of that final missionary journey of his. And if you follow the red lines, that's kind of the the course he takes. Um, At the time of Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is making his way, kind of hop, skip, and jump across these islands along the coast of Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor uh, uh, is a lot of that's modern-day Turkey today. And uh, this is where much of Paul's church planting activity was in earlier missionary journeys. Ephesus is right here. And uh, Ephesus was a key church in Paul's uh, ministry. In fact, Paul has spent a uh, better part of three years ministering in Ephesus. And you think, well, that's not that long. Well, it is when you think in terms of Paul's ministry and all the churches that God used them to start. It is a long period of time. When you contrast that with, say, uh, Thessalonica over in Macedonia here, Paul established a church. He was only there a handful of weeks and established a church. But here at Ephesus, he'd been three years, and he made stops on subsequent missionary uh, journeys there. Now, as Paul travels, he's come to Miletus. It's about 30 miles along the coastline south of Ephesus. There's Miletus. And there, that is where uh, the text takes us. So, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. And before uh, he continues on that journey, the ship makes that port of call here at Miletus. And there's the unloading and reloading of some cargo that takes place. And it's here that Paul takes an opportunity to call for the elders from that precious church at Ephesus And they travel uh, down to meet him there for a final and tearful farewell. Paul has an important message to share with them on this uh, occasion. Paul had strong ties, a deep 
spiritual and emotional attachment with these people at Ephesus. And so his farewell message to the Ephesian elders, which would be the leaders, the pastors, uh, the senior leadership in the church, as it were, likely their families had joined uh, with them, their wives and the children. They were all present there for Paul's uh, farewell. And it's unique in that this message really reveals the heart of Paul as a pastor. Now, we know he's a missionary and he's, uh, he's an apostle and he's a great evangelist. But in this text, we see uh, just that uh, deep concern and the, 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 the endearment and the association, the fellowship that he felt, uh, the warmth in his heart that he had uh, for these believers. And it gives us a glimpse of how Paul would have ministered there in Ephesus for three years. His message can be looked at from four vantage points, which will be our four main points today. First, Paul reviews the past in verses 17 through 21. Then he discusses with them the present situation, verses 22 through 25. Then he speaks about the future in verses 26 through 35. And finally, he left off being focused on the eternal in verses 36 through 38. And if you'll allow me, I just want to take a little bit of time. I want to take an opportunity to make this personal for us. Because here at MIBC, we have a past together. You and I. 20 years for us. Close to 20 years for many of you. Uh, different lengths of time for, for others. Uh, but it's been 20 years of wonderful blessings. We've seen the church grow. We've seen God do some amazing miracles. 20 years of changed and still changing lives. 20 years in the book together. 20 years of sweet fellowship. 20 years of labor, there's been a lot of joy and there's been plenty of laughter along the way. And that's a good thing, right? The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And some of the best times have been times we've laughed together. And the Lord knows there's been a lot of eating together over those 20 years. We wouldn't be Baptist without it. But there's also been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, there's been painful experiences. There's been times we've been exercised to spiritual growth through those tough seasons in life. And through some sorrow and through some valleys and through some loss. So we have that past together. And it's been a path of... Uh, a past of salvation and sanctification and service. But at MIBC, we also, uh, in 2017, have a present reality that we're dealing with and things that are happening of which we're keenly aware. It's a season of change and transition. And these things I want us to understand, as Paul would have us understand if he were here, that these present realities are not random. But they are full of divine purpose. 
And so, you know, God has a purpose in my life and my family as we serve the Lord. God has a purpose in bringing Pastor Alcock and his family here to MIBC and in the ministry that, that they will have in your midst. And God has a unique purpose in each one of your lives, each one of your families, each one of you in the ministry that He's given you. Young people. I, mean, I was so encouraged by the teen service night. I wanted to say, I said to several others after the service, and I just want to say publicly now, the wonderful thing that encourages me about our teenagers, about our youth, is that we can call that a teen service night, and it is. But the thrilling thing is that our teens are not just serving on teen service night. It's not all about that. I mean, have you looked around? Have you noticed that our young people are in the choir? Have you noticed that they're in the orchestra? Have you noticed that they're serving in the sound booth? Have you noticed that there are nursery workers? Have you noticed that they're involved in just so many different facets of ministry? That's encouraging to me. And so that's a present reality here at MIBC. But church, you also have a tremendous future. Let me tell you, as a church, you need to be certainly warned about future pitfalls and problems. And uh, our text handles that and addresses that matter, and we'll, we'll look at that. But you also need to be encouraged about future potential and how that God wants to use you and expand your horizons and stretch you and cause you to grow and serve in greater ways than you ever imagined. And finally, at MIBC, we have a blessed eternity to look forward to. Now, I'm really most excited about that. Are you joyfully anticipating heaven today? (laughs) I'm telling you what. We're going to be forever with the Lord. And so, you know, it's an amazing thing God does. He takes unique individuals and families and a very diverse group and He presses us all together here within the context of a local church. And you know, sometimes it can be a little uncomfortable because not everybody's just like you. And not everybody's just like me. And we have different perspective and different different opinions and different personalities. And sometimes, let's be honest, we rub each other the wrong way. Okay? But I want you to know something. The local church is a dress rehearsal for eternity. And so we should be growing and learning to love each other more and more while we're here. Because we're going to spend eternity in heaven together around the throne of Jesus. So that's all exciting. And that's, you know, that's the personal part of this message for me. With that having all been said, let's get to the text and deal with these matters of Paul's farewell message to the Ephesian elders. And we'll begin with him speaking words of remembrance. And this has to do with the past. And in verses 18 through 21 primarily is where we have those words of remembrance. And he starts off in verse 18 to say, Ye know from the first day 
that I came into Asia after what manner I've been with you at all seasons. And it's at times like these, a farewell, be it Apostle Paul's farewell or be it my farewell as pastor or some other scenario of having to say goodbye, it does us good to remember things. We ought to be able to think upon our spiritual past with gratitude. The fact of the matter is, sometimes we take things and people for granted until they are gone. I'll give you a great illustration of this. You know, children in the home, especially they get, you know, into adolescence, get into those teen years. And the tendency is, I'm not trying to stereotype our young people because I know that they'll rise above this. But oftentimes the tendency is to complain about this and that and everything, you know. And... Um, you know, to hear it from a teenager sometimes. No one on earth has it any worse than they do within the context of their home and living under the roof of their mom and dad. I mean, it's just a tribulation. All right? Rapture hasn't happened, but they're in the tribulation. But, you know, something amazing happens when those kids grow up. And they get university age and then they're off to college and then finally they're off on their own. And now they'll come back home. And, you know, I'm looking around. Some of you parents that have seen kids off and leave, you're nodding your head. You know what comes next. And they come back home, and you know what? Mom and Dad, you're the greatest thing <laughs> in all the world. And no one ever had a better home <laughs> than what we had growing up. It's amazing how the perspective changes once you leave. Once you're gone. And so, you know, I, I want to encourage you that, you know, sometimes we take some things for granted and, until we no longer have them. And maybe that's the reason, part of the reason in our lives that we have to experience change. So that we'll appreciate uh, things maybe a, a, a little more. And I'll tell you what, in the last three or four weeks for sure, my wife and I have felt so deeply appreciated by the church family. And it's time for a little um, reciprocation this morning because I want you to know how deeply we appreciate you and how meaningful it has been for you to be part of this journey with us. And, you know, sometimes you're in the midst of the battles as a pastor, and I'll admit it. You know, sometimes you get a little bit weary in the well-doing. And sometimes you can take a little bit for granted what God's given you, that opportunity to minister. But as, as sincerely as I can say this, it is the reality of what I feel in my heart that there's no greater church family in all of Canada than right here at Mississauga International Baptist Church. Your spirit... And your generosity and your humility and your compassion and your love for God and your love for one another, to me, it's just unmatched and unequaled. And I thank you for blessing me and my family over these years to be privileged to serve you. We can also think back 
to the day that we got saved. And think about folks that God used in our lives. Folks that God used to bring us to Jesus Christ. Uh, we're a privileged group today and that, you know, we're, we're part of that group that has been privileged to see the early days of this church. The first days in our history. And so here's Paul reflecting similarly with the Ephesian elders. And he talks, uh, first of all, about the manner um, of, of past ministry in their midst, verse 18 and 19. He's saying that they had observed him from the very beginning, from the very first day. And they had witnessed his ministry in all seasons, in the good times and in the bad times. What, what's the manner of Paul's ministry? Well, it was one of humility. It was one of compassion and concern, the tears. It was one of being steadfast in the trials, going through the temptations. And I think as we part, as we say our farewells, as we say goodbye, we should call to remembrance. Every expression of that which is good. The way that we have experienced a a servant's heart and a compassion and a concern and uh, a steadfastness through the the trials, and that's in a you know in a mutual way. I'm not just saying, "Oh, you appreciate me." As I go, no, 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 no. I'm saying we can appreciate what we've experienced together and how we've seen God work in lives. And let, let's be honest. Any good characteristic like this, the humility, the compassion, the steadfastness, those are all the work of God in our lives. And so as I experience the demonstration of that towards me, I am thankful because it's evidence of God's work in your life. And if you have experienced that uh, from the ministry of this pastor, then don't praise me for it. But thank God, because that is God's work in my life. That is what God has done. And we give Him the glory. But we need to call to remembrance that manner of past ministry and service. We need to call to remembrance the means and methods. Paul talked about that in verse 20. He says, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But it showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. The means and methods of Paul's ministry of the Word of God involved a perfect or complete or full disclosure. Do you see that there? He said, I kept back nothing. Now, folks, I want you to know that I know I'm no Apostle Paul. But God knows my heart, and for 20 years, my desire has been to fully disclose the Word of God to this church family. And and from week to week, as I've opened the Bible and begun to study and prayed about the message that God would have for me, my desire has not been to hold back or to hide anything that's profitable for God's people, even if it was a difficult message to communicate. And when it comes to matters of our eternal salvation, 
and sanctification. When it comes to matters of our, our home life and our marriages and uh, issues that affect uh, our, our children and parenting, matters of Christian service and surrender, don't you believe that it's important that we get the complete message? That we get everything that God has to say about that? Don't you believe that's important? So Paul says, you remember that. In verse 26, he went on to say, I, I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the, from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know what? I'm thrilled with the incoming pastor here and his leadership because I know Pastor Alcock is a man that's cut from that same cloth and he desires to share with you the full counsel of God. And so you, but you need to pray for your pastor. As you've prayed for me in the past, you pray for your uh, pastor now that God will uh, work in his heart and, and uh, give him the power of the Holy Spirit to preach and declare the Word of God. It involves a, a perfect disclosure, a public declaration. He says, I've taught you publicly. And so my goodness is I think about, you know, just the public teaching. It adds up over the years. Sometimes as a pastor, you, you can think, well, you know what? What I'm doing here is really not all that significant. But then I look back over 20 years. There's been over 2,000 sermons I've preached, not from this pulpit, but from the pulpit of MIBC. I've preached through the, all the four Gospels, the book of Revelation, Hebrews, James, and Minor Prophets with series on Genesis, book of Psalms, Proverbs, series on Christ in the Old Testament, and numerous other uh, topical series. I think, my goodness, how has God enabled me to do that? Well, it's by His grace and for His glory. There's also the private discourse, and that's the house to house. And this is not the door knocking. Although, you know, door knocking is a valuable means of evangelism as well. What Paul's talking about here is personal interaction with the people there at Ephesus, with the members at the church, and how that he would visit in their homes. And so whether it's in the home or at a Tim Hortons or somewhere in an emergency room at the hospital, any private moment of instruction, counsel, biblical counsel, and prayer together over the years, those times of private discourse, the discipleship, I thank God for those times that we've had together. But most importantly, Paul said, you know, I want you to remember our manner, the means and methods of our ministry, but don't forget the message, verse 21. And what is it? He says, we are testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, this is the heart of it all. And as long as I have breath, as long as I have life, I will maintain that the message of repentance needs to be preached. What is repentance? It means we turn from our sin. We turn from any self-righteousness. We turn from any effort or any thought of our own ability to save ourselves. We turn from that in salvation. And this is faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the faith? It's turning to Jesus. It's saying, I recognize that there's no other Savior. 
There's no other means of salvation than the Lord Jesus Christ. And His work on Calvary's cross, His death, burial, subsequent resurrection, for all that I need and all that anyone else needs to be gloriously saved. That's the message. I'm telling you, that's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, that is Romans 5.8. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 10.13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Acts chapter 16, the story of the Philippian jailer crying out to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. That's the message we preach. That's the message we declare. It's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that. Never forget it. The minute you uh, compromise that message, you cease to fulfill your calling as a church. We cannot compromise. We cannot go back on that wonderful message. So it's the words of remembrance that's the past. But then Paul moves to the present and brings us words of purpose in verses 22 through 25. He said, Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things which that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying to bonds and afflictions, abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. In these verses, Paul is conveying the reality of his present situation. These verses also help us to understand Paul's resolve in the face of potential persecution and even death. Now, my wife and I over the years have enjoyed driving and hiking into the backwoods. And growing up in British Columbia, there's many of those backwoods to explore. And in fact, north of Mission, British Columbia, uh, you're quickly into the mountains. And you have nothing to follow but a logging road, which is usually one way, right? There's a set of tracks and you go one way. And if there's a, uh, there's a vehicle, a logging truck coming the other direction, you know, you find or you invent a shoulder uh, to get off on and let the let the truck pass. So over the years, we explored a lot of those roads. And I, I want to tell you, at times, we got into some real pickles. I mean, I remember turning a full-size van around on the side of a mountain with a sheer drop-off on one side, just a one-way logging trail. I remember turning that vehicle around because we'd run into a washout, couldn't go any further. And the fog had just closed in around us. It was like a 16-point turn. Okay, just back up a little bit, go up a little, little bit. My wife figured we'll never get back. I couldn't back down. I couldn't see the road. I turned that vehicle around. It took me about, I don't know, it seemed like forever. Uh, we got ourselves 
snuck, stuck axle deep in snow in a 1974 Volvo up in the, you know, we had all those experiences. But I'll tell you what we also discovered on the back roads. We discovered some little rainbow trout lakes up in the mountains that you had all to yourself. And you could go to that lake surrounded by mountains and enjoy a beautiful sunset. And with every cast, you'd be getting a bite and reeling in a little rainbow trout, a little kokanee or something. Salisbury Lake, and there were others unnamed lakes. And and that was the, 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 the rewards that we reaped for it. But, you know, when you drive those mountain roads, sometimes you come to a fork in the road. And we didn't have GPS. In those, I, I doubt a GPS would know what to do with those roads even today. But the fact is, there was a fork in the roads. There was a crossroads. And you had to make a decision. You had to go one way or you had to go the other way or you had to turn around. And, you know, the present, for all of us, it's often a crossroads. And so, as Paul said his farewells to these believers... He wanted them to be aware that there were present realities of which he did not fully know what the outcome would be. But there were certainties, nonetheless, that guided Paul in his decisions. And because those certainties, those spiritual certainties existed for his present, it gave Paul the greatest of resolve, the greatest of purposes, to move forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact is, Pastor Alcock, MIBC, my family, none of us know what tomorrow holds. We don't. If we think we do, we're just kidding ourselves. Okay? But there are spiritual realities. There are spiritual certainties that guide us. And as we face a fork in the road, as we face the present crossroads, I'm confident that the same God who helped Paul will help us. And we need to have purpose now more than ever. We see that in Paul's life, for Paul knew where he was going. Where was Paul going? He was going to Jerusalem. There were those who thought that Paul shouldn't go. There were those who warned Paul against going. But Paul would not be dissuaded. He had this single purpose. And he knew that he must go to Jerusalem. What drove him there? Well, I believe it was his deep concern and love and compassion for the Jewish people. His great desire, as we know from Romans 9 and 10, was to see Israel saved and reconciled to God through her Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 verse 1, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And so, listen, Paul knew where he was going. Do you know where you're going today? We don't know what's going to happen down the road, but we should know where we're going. If I know anything today, I know where I'm going. And God has called me to help establish and equip and encourage the next generation of Canadian pastors and missionaries and church planters. And I am going to give every fiber of my being to that purpose. I don't know how that God will bless that. I don't know, you know, how that ministry might grow over the coming years. But I know that there is a spiritual reality. There is a spiritual certainty. There is a purpose in my heart that guides me. And, and I trust that you feel the same way about whatever it is that you're doing. 
about wherever it is that you're going. And like Paul, uh, you just have that resolve in your heart. Paul was going to Jerusalem. Paul also knew who was leading him. Now that's important, don't you think? Who was leading him? It was the Holy Spirit of God. Now he said he was bound in the Spirit. That implies it was his, he was bound in his own Spirit. But what was he bound by? His spirit was bound by the Spirit of God. Because he said in the, in the next verse, it's the Holy Ghost that witnesseth to me in every city. I mean, it was a spiritual constraint upon a man who, listen, we know the, the testimony of Paul. He was careful to follow and not disregard the Spirit's leading in his life. Do you believe that? I mean, that that was what made Paul tick. For, for example, in Acts chapter 16, where he had this Macedonian vision. Uh, the Bible tells us in Acts 16, verse 6, that when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So what did Paul do? Paul said, forget you, Holy Ghost, I'm going into Asia. No, he did not. He was forbidden. It says, uh, they, after they were come to Mysia, they say to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit... That's the Spirit of God suffered them not. Did Paul say, I'll ignore you again, Holy Spirit, I'll just go my own way? No. Then what happened? It says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately... Paul says, Luke writing says, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for the preach of gospel unto them. So you not only need to know where you're going, folks, in these present realities, you need to know who's leading you. And it better be the Spirit of God. Oh, listen, you say, well, how can I know that? This whole book, is also called the sword of the Spirit. And if you're wondering what the Spirit of God has to say to you, my encouragement is get back in the book. Get into the Word of God. And He will speak to you. He will guide you. Paul knew where he was going. He knew who was leading him. And Paul also knew the potential cost of imprisonment and even death. And he recognized that in verses 22 and 23. Paul, of all the things we can say of him, uh, one thing we certainly can say is that Paul was a suffering apostle. Listen, he knew about persecution. He knew about imprisonment. He knew about public beatings. He knew about being left for dead. He knew about the imminent danger of preaching the gospel. He knew about narrow escapes. Listen, that was his life. You know, they got reality TV today. Personally, I, I think it's stupid. <laughs> but, you know, if you wanted real reality TV, how about the life of Paul? Wouldn't that have been amazing to watch? I mean, you know what? Every week, every day with Paul would have been a real adventure. Paul faced it all. Paul knew about trials. Paul knew about hardship. Paul knew about suffering. And yet, he could say, and he did say in our text, read these words carefully with me. Uh, let, let's go to verse 24. He says, but none, none of these things move me. 
Neither can I my life dear unto myself. <laughs> I don't believe we'll, we'll likely be called to suffer like Paul suffered. If we were, I trust by God's grace that we'd be commended for staying true to God. But I want to say this, church family, we've got to know where we're going. And we've got to know who's leading us. And we have to understand that there is a potential cost involved in serving Jesus. And that is just the present reality. When I say, you know, we have a great future in serving God, I mean that as much as I can possibly mean anything else. But I don't mean that it's going to be, you know, gravy and mashed potatoes the whole way. I don't mean that it's just going to be perfectly smooth sailing. I don't mean and I don't understand that there will never be a problem again. It's just the present reality. And it has to do with the God-given purpose in each of our lives and ministry. And next we come to the part of Paul's farewell message. And this is the last major point. And then we'll, we'll have our invitation. But this is where he shares words of warning and of encouragement. And it's all about the future. And, you know, probably this passage in itself would lend itself to a whole series of messages. So I'm not going to take a lot of time with it. But in verses 28 through 35, Paul is very strong. He's very direct in dealing with the future of the Ephesian church. And he shares both words of warning and encouragement. There is both a caution and a commendation here. The caution is in verse 28 through 31. And it's directed at the pastors, the elders, the spiritual leaders. It is a very personal caution when Paul says, take heed unto yourselves. And it's also a corporate caution when he says to all the flock. What's Paul saying to these elders? He says, here's the caution. You need to give spiritual oversight to the church. You need to feed the flock. And it's critical that you do so in a biblical way for a couple of reasons. One, the church belongs to God. Paul said, look, it was purchased with his own blood. You know, when we talk about this being a sacred desk, that's not just nice thing to say. When we say it's a sacred desk, we say that there is a very serious responsibility involved with someone standing behind this desk purporting to preach the word of God. Why? Because we're not a country club. We're not just a group of people assembled here for everybody just to share their own opinion and kind of go with the tide of public opinion of the day. But we're here for one very specific purpose, and that's to hear God's word disseminated in a clear, concise, accurate manner. And see, this church, MIBC, was purchased by God's own blood. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for Mississauga International Baptist Church. And it's important that the Word of God be clearly preached. So, 
the, the, the warning here is to these elders. You better, you better take real heed to yourself and to the flock. And you better give the right kind of spiritual and biblical oversight. And you better feed this flock because it belongs to God. And because there is an imminent threat from false teachers, they're described here as wolves who not spare the flock. Paul says they, they, they'll even arise from within the leadership. And he says in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul said, I cried over this. It's been the burden of my heart. And you know, as the founding pastor of Mississauga International Baptist Church, and I know Pastor Alcock would stand right with me and say, Amen, and, and all of this. But if there ever stands someone in this pulpit purporting to be a man of God and purporting to be the pastor of this church and is preaching doctrine contrary to the Scriptures, I'd rather the church close its doors. And I say all of that not because I'm suspecting anything, but because if we don't have our eyes wide open to those dangers, then we can let down our guard and we can let the false doctrine come along. Stay true to it. Preacher, just keep preaching it. Amen. Just keep preaching it. But there's also a commendation, and it comes primarily from verse 32. I love these words. And now, brethren, I commend you to God. And to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Paul says, listen, there's a caution. Oh yeah, there's, there's my word of warning to you for the future. But listen to me. Paul says, I want to encourage you in some way here. And I commend you. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. You see the twofold encouragement there? And I, I want to share it with you and make it personal in this way. I want, I want to tell you, church family, that you belong to God. You belong to God. And whether it's myself or any other spiritual leader, what we in our positions need to understand is that the flock of God does not belong to us. And yes, I've walked among you and I've had that role and responsibility and position of leadership. But I'm not the great shepherd. I am not the chief Shepherd, I am not the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I'm merely an under-shepherd. Really, I'm just another, I'm a fellow sheep. (laughs) And it's been my privilege to serve among you and to grow along with you for these past 20 years. But church, I commend you today to the fact that you belong to God. You belong to God. Second encouragement is this. Paul says, I commend you to the word of his grace. And I want you just to understand this. You not only belong to God, 
But you hold in your hands a sufficient word. It's able to build you up. (laughs) You've got the Bible. Now listen. If you had to choose between me and the Bible, it's not a contest. Amen? Are you kidding me? Take the Word of God every time. Paul says, I commend you to the Word of His grace. So, this farewell message, is that a word about the past? It's a word about remembering things. He's had a word about the present, and it's a word about the purpose that we should have as we face the current situation, the realities of our present circumstances. And then he's had a word for the future for them, which is both uh, commending and cautioning them about the spiritual future. But finally, we come to the conclusion of this message, and I'm going to make it our invitation today. I just really felt so moved as I prepared this. But the final word is a word of prayer. And I'll tell you how we're going to do this in just a moment. But the word of prayer for me, Paul, it says that he kneeled down and he prayed with them all. They all wept sore and, you know, it was a time of tears and sorrowing and so forth as they accompanied Paul to the ship and said their goodbyes. But I believe the word of prayer commends us to something that's eternal. It commends us to that which is larger than the past, present, and future. For with the past, present, and future, all we're dealing with are the, uh, the, the, the temporal sense of time. But we have something way bigger than that to look forward to. It's called eternity. And there's something about prayer. And, you know, taking words from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the model prayer, I believe prayer does at least two things. Prayer binds us to the eternal person. Jesus instructed his disciples, after this manner, therefore pray ye. How did he begin? Our Father, which art in heaven. Every time that we pray, we are bound to this great eternal person of God. Isn't it wonderful as a believer that we have that connection? With God. And we could come into His presence knowing that He cares and He sees and observes our life, knowing that He loves us, knowing that He's with us, knowing that He's almighty and powerful to help us. Prayer binds us to the eternal person. It's beautiful. And prayer also believes in an eternal purpose. Jesus said in verse 10 of Matthew 6 that as we pray, we're to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so on this, my last day as pastor here at MIBC, I want to encourage you not to forget your past. I want to encourage you to see the purpose in your present, to approach the future with both caution and commendation, and to anticipate the eternal when we'll be forever together with the Lord.